Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Brad Rika, spelled R-I-C-C-A. And he published in September 2021, just a couple of months ago, the following book titled True Raiders, The Untold Story of the 1909 Expedition to Find the Legendary Ark of the Covenant. Really fascinating, interesting historical book. But this is not his first book. He's also written Superboys, The Amazing Adventures of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the creators of Superman in 2013. Also, 1917, no, sorry, Mrs. Sherlock Holmes, the true story of New York City's greatest female detective, and the 1917 missing girl case that captivated a nation, that was 2017. And then also, All of the Lionheart, Lost Love, Imperial Spies, and One Woman's Journey into the Heart of Africa, published 2020. But uh, really interesting kind of book. I didn't know any that this even occurred, so I really was a delight to read. So, Brad, Rika, are you there? Yeah, thanks for having me on, William. It's a real awesome. pleasure. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Do you pronounce your name Rika or is it Richa? Um, that's a great, uh, great question because it's supposed to be. I mean, we pronounce it um, Rika. Rika. Um, but it's supposed to be. Uh, I used to live in uh, Little Italy uh, in, in Cleveland, where I live. And I would always get pizza on, like, you know, Friday nights from Mama Santa's great uh, Italian pizza place. And um, Mama Santa would answer the phone. I I would say, like, you know, one large uh, pepperoni for Rick. uh, And she would say, she would yell at me. She would say, no, Rick, reach ya, reach ya. That's it. And she was right. That's how it was was said in Sicily. But, of course, you know, once it gets to America, uh, we, we mess it all up. So that's a really long uh answer to your uh nice little pronunciation question well, i will pronounce it however you like but why don't you talk about i mean you've written a number of books talk about what led you to write true raiders yeah so true raiders comes from um i'm an unabashed fan of raiders of the lost ark um since i was a kid i saw it in in theaters uh with my dad and my little brother and for some reason, that was the movie that got me. Uh, I think everybody has that that one movie when they're a kid, and you know they grow up and they'll see better movies, they'll see more sophisticated movies, but there's always that one that, that sticks with you. And for me, it was Raiders, and you know I loved Star Wars, but Star Wars was just so far beyond um, you know any kind of of reality. Whereas Raiders took place in in a real uh, time and place, you know, it was in the past, and there's the Nazis, and and there's there's all these real life things happening, um, and then in the middle of it, you have the Ark, um, this this thing that that the Bible says uh, is is true and existed, uh, but nobody's seen it for thousands of years, and it becomes this great. I mean, in terms of storytelling, it's it's you know. People have called it for for decades. You know, it's the ultimate MacGuffin, the ultimate thing to go after. Um, but it's really kind of like that outside the movie too, because you think about um, the, this thing, this artifact that that may be real or it may not, but it's still really powerful, and that always just kind of stuck with me. Right, and it's even in the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. It emulates the power the, the artifact had in the Bible. So the artifact was the repository of the tablets, the Ten Commandments, right? 
and it was gold. And it just like, I think the movie depicts it properly, had the two angels and the two wooden poles. You describe it in your book because you're not supposed to touch it, right? The biblical tale tells the story of a guy who accidentally touched it and died. So you have these metal poles and you're supposed to carry it around. It was carried around in war, right? Yeah, and and you you nailed it right on the head. Is is Raiders of the Lost Ark the the movie gets exactly the version that these guys I'm talking about in the book go after, um, and the the biblical version that you know the Bible says how big it is and it, it says how to construct it, and so that version we see in in Raiders where you know Indy and Sala lifted up. Um, out of the the stone, uh, uh, you know, kind of casket is is the version that that's described in the Bible and the version that these these guys go after, and all the same rules apply when they give that little um, exposition in the movie um, that it was used to level armies. I mean, that's in the Bible. It's used to communicate with God, which the Nazis try to do in the movie. Um, uh, that's in the Bible. And so it's taking all these stories um, the movie did into something that that's a good a good um, you know a good adventure. But this is all stuff from the Bible. This isn't stuff that that uh, Lucas and, and Spielberg made up. And and the the story you allude to is in in um, my book too. It's it's um, King David. You know, um, gets the ark back, and and he he takes it into Jerusalem, and and he's so happy that it's going to come back, and it starts to slide off the the ox cart a little bit, and this poor guy just you know thinks he's doing a good deed, and he puts his hand out so it doesn't fall into the dust, and God strikes him according to the Old Testament, strikes him down right there for the sin of touching the ark. Um, so you have this thing with so many stories around it um, and stories that have really lasted, you know, from Old Testament times all the way to 19, the 1982 film. And, and, you know, we're still talking about it today. Um, and that just fascinated me as, you know, how many where these stories come from? Why are they so fascinating? Um, and could any of them be true, you know? Right. And the mystery is where what happened to it? I think it was disappeared when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem in what, six or six common CE or something like that, 600 CE. So nobody really knows where it went. Could be in your book, you quote something that I didn't know is somebody theorized it was in Ireland and then it could be in Ethiopia. So we really don't really know it is, uh, where it is. But these guys seem to have the key. Can you talk about how the uh, expeditionary team was formulated and why they thought they could figure out where it was. Yeah, and it starts um, from that mystery that it's it's this big character in the Old Testament and then just disappears. And um, it it coin seems to coincide with when um, you know Jerusalem is is conquered. But then there's this these strange lists of of what Nebuchadnezzar took. And the Ark, of course, is not on that list. So it, it raises all these questions of where where it could be, like you said. But So this group starts out, um, there was a lot of people interested in the Ark at this time. Um, we're talking, you know, 1900, um, you know, give or take. And they had just, there had just been an expedition to Ireland, of all places. And the, the people were sure that 
there was a um, a group of of Israelites that ended up in Ireland and 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 hid it there, and there was all these. Um, that's a, a that's another book that other people have written, and it, it's really interesting. But oh, um, interesting. it was in Tara, right? T A R A. Yes, yes, and they didn't find anything. Um, but there was a lot of of uh, pushback, um, and people were really interested in it. But but um, protests and, and what have you. But people were interested in the Ark at this time. And there's this guy. Um, he was a he lives in Finland, um, and he was a surveyor. And he would go on his surveying work. His father was a surveyor before him. And you have, I guess, when you're a surveyor, a lot of time on your hands, which which I didn't know. Um, and he would he would stay in all these cabins along the way as he's surveying the Finnish uh, countryside. And he started reading the Bible. And he started reading it in ancient Hebrew. Um, he, you know, kind of taught himself and 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 got into that um, and got into it more and more. And this really triggered something in him. And he dropped his job and went back to school, eventually getting a doctorate. Um, his name was Walter Juvelius. And he was convinced that he had found in the Old Testament, um, specifically in, his, in Ezekiel, but there were other spots too, a hidden code. Um, and I'm totally not making this up. Um, it's like the, the Da Vinci Code a little bit, but he said he found a hidden code in the Old Testament that revealed to him where the Ark was, that when Jerusalem was conquered, um, the, uh, the priests hid the Ark, um, and they hid it you know, right underneath Jerusalem, and, and he had the key to getting it. And um, so secret codes and, and ciphers were, were also kind of popular at this time. People were reading Shakespeare with ciphers and, and, and the Bible, certainly, and all other kinds of things. Um, so people, um, I think popular, I don't know if popular is the right word, but, but people had, were attuned to this idea that there were secrets within secrets. And there was no greater secret than the Ark. Um, so he got kind of hooked up with, with, with people that he convinced kind of um, and he, he got um, eventually uh, met with a group of, of British kind of businessmen and, and ex-soldiers, and, and they called themselves the syndicate, uh, right? Because what else are they going to call themselves? It has to be this great shadowy name. Uh, and they were persuaded by Juvelius, and they, they have this meeting, um, and he, he speaks through a proxy, and he, he's not the first one to come over because he doesn't um, speak English. But he goes through his code, which is every seventh um, letter, um, and then you put that all together, and then there's certain things you have to do with, with repeating words and ideas. And all of a sudden, he's getting these sentences from Ezekiel that say, uh, you know, go 40 paces down the fountain, turn right and behold the fire of God. And these businessmen in the syndicate, their kind of jaws are on the floor, that they're, they're seeing these sentences arise. Um, and Juvelius had, had scratched all these maps together. Um, and he convinces them that they, um, after this, they, they find a leader, which I'm, who I'm sure we'll talk about, but they um, raise money and they, they start to think seriously about going to Jerusalem. Right. And they're speculating in their minds this find will be uh, 
uh, there'll be so much money and they're valuing things in incredible sums. So they're almost like real adventurers. And I think it's important to see these guys in the context of other people who are looking at Egyptian old centuries old stuff, Schliemann looking mm. for Troy, maybe somebody adventuring for uh, Noah's Ark. So there's that, that kind of whole mythos is really real based upon the Bible and other things, other kind of proven old history, so our classical history. So I think that this was it. And Ezekiel was the prophet for Hezekiah, right? So that yeah. was kind of why that prophet was the one who had encoded this information, supposedly where the ark was, right? Yeah. Um, and you're right on in, in the, um, you know, this is the era of the historical Bible that it wasn't just words on a page. And it's really the the era, like you said, of, of the historical everything, that people weren't content with just reading history. They wanted to go out and find it. So you have, I mean, yeah, that's right on, is, is go find Troy. Um, and of course, you know, ancient Egypt, which which the British um, were all over and, and, and took home to them. And I think this is absolutely in that vein and i wanted to be real clear in the beginning when the syndicate wants to go um, when they're instigated to go they're not motivated by uh priests or um spiritual beliefs or um great power like um you know that you you'd supposedly get this this supernatural power from the ark they're just interested in the money um, they know it is going to be a find of of just uncountable sums. Um, and that really gets them motivated to go. But you're right, it's still, um, somebody I talked to described this as it's a very British, it's a blue sky adventure. Um, that you can say what you, you know, um, want. And, and certainly this time the British are going everywhere to conquer things. Um, but they also have this real knack for just kind of leaving on uh, uh, almost a moment's notice at, at the hint of something out there on the horizon. Um, and I think that that's pretty, um, uh, I don't think anybody does that today. So it was, right. it was kind of cool to write about. Right, I mean, it's kind of at the height of the British Empire. So it's before yeah. World War One. they're traveling all over, people are going to India. Uh, so this is kind of like a way stop and there was an earlier expedition you mentioned too before this one that was like so you kind of go in time how it, there was the 1867 one too and then there was the 1908 correct yeah so i i wanted to like show that there were people looking in jerusalem um, i mean there's always been people looking in jerusalem and that if i did that that book would be you know 35 volumes um but I wanted to put Charles Warren because he was really one of the first um, British um, real kind of, I mean, I hesitate calling him an archeologist. I mean, he was, but he was one of these, you know, kind of man of the centuries who was everything. He was a soldier, he was an archeologist, the master of, of nothing, but he could also do everything. Um, and he goes and, and he has these really, um, to me, just really strange adventures underneath uh, Jerusalem where um, he's very, I think, methodical and, and, and you know, close to scientific, 
much more so than the expedition that goes for the Ark, but he finds a lot of strange things. And to me, it was kind of the, the, um, the hint of what was going to come later, that people went looking for history and, and uh, looking for answers, but found a lot of mystery too. And I think that inspired everybody who came, who came next. Right. And they were always trying, they still are today trying to verify things that are stated in the Old and New Testament. So they're trying to confirm all this stuff. So all these adventures, whether they find the name of, uh, you know, Pontius Pilate written in Latin, they're always kind of looking for this. So I see that in the same thing. Yeah. And can you describe where they dug and why that is a kind of a something that's an accurate record of kind of in the, at least in the tunnel area of where they were digging the, the pools and stuff? Yeah, I focused. I mean, lucky, luckily for me, the 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 expedition that goes for the Ark, the um, the Parker expedition, they really focus on one area more or less, and Warren focuses heavily on this area, so that was easy for me um, to try and you know really get to know um, this. Really, it's not even that big um a spot but it is still to this day filled with mystery and and um people ask me like well you know in the end you talk about the current archaeological um and i say no because it changes like every six months what they think of this place um so i, I focus on where they focus on is, is hezekiah's tunnel um and it's it's a kind of tunnel system um right at the there's jerusalem and then there's the wall um, and then it's kind of down the, the, the hill there, and there's a pool, um, a fountain, and there's these tunnels that go underneath, and they kind of branch out um, uh, in all sorts of mysterious ways. Um, some of them go up, and some go to the side, and, and to make matters even more um, hard to understand for people going through it, some of them are absolutely natural and some of them have been um, carved by by man um, and so there's a there's the tunnel and there's the pool there's the fountain and it, it heads around to a pool and there's also water um, there's water in the tunnel sometimes it, it goes nearly all the way to the top and sometimes there's no water um, it's a really mysterious place but it's um, just naturally speaking, because where's the water coming from? How can you control the water? Um, which they get into. But the real um, interest for them is that this is supposedly the tunnel in the um, Old Testament. I mean, there's a lot of biblical stories around it. This is where um, the baby Jesus was, was his swaddling clothes were washed. This is where Jesus um, heals the blind man. So there's all kinds of, of great stories around here. But mainly that it, this was the place where um, David used the tunnel to come up um, underneath his enemies to finally um, uh, take and, and, and conquer Jerusalem. And this is an important um moment in the Old Testament. Um, and also because it, it seems like if there were a secret network of tunnels um, that was used for military purposes, um, it could have been used to conceal the Ark. And that's what they're interested in um, because there's so many places where they're not sure there's tunnels or they stop and, and should they dig, should they go around? 
Um, it's just a really mysterious place. And it's and if you go to Jerusalem now, you can go through it. Um, it's a tourist uh, place now, and you have to take your shoes off because the water's up, and you can go through Hezekiah's Tunnel, um, which looks really cool. Right, and you actually start the book off of some local child going from one side to the other, to the Pool of Siloam, right? And that's the yeah. one where Christ puts the clay on the guy's eyes and goes wash them out. So that's kind of a famous element. So there's tons of history there. Yeah. So those guys who sent off on this expedition probably felt like we are in the midst of like a historical undertaking. And by the way, this is a true story. True Raiders is a true story. And you can see some of the pictures online and some of these characters that uh, Brad Rika talks about. So, um, but, and then how do they progress from this kind of expedition to getting to Jerusalem and, and what happens from there? Well, so they've got the, the mystic, they've got Dr. Juvelius who, you know, barely speaks English, but he has all of his codes with him and, um, they need a leader. Um, so they find this guy, um, Montague Parker, uh, who's, who goes by Monty. Um, which was great for me because I didn't want to keep saying, keep typing Montague. And, and Monty sounds like a more of an action hero, hero anyway, even though he's not an action hero. Um, so he was the son of a of an earl, the son of the Earl of Morley. Um, but he was the second son. So what that means is, you know, he did not inherit the title. He did not inherit the huge estate. Um, he was kind of on his own. I mean, he still had, had perks to, to, to that, um, but he was a soldier. Um, he had been in South Africa. Um, he had been to India, and he, he was home um, kind of, of in between things. He was, was suffering from um, some uh, kind of um, medical disorder, um, and um, he's approached through these, he knows somebody in the syndicate and, and um, they approach him with this. And um, it's kind of fuzzy as to when he says yes, he doesn't seem to say yes right away, um, but he's interested in the money um, for sure. I mean, this would cement him um, for the rest of his life and kind of cement his, not only the fortune part, but the glory too. Um, and he's also, he's linked romantically with, um, in the gossip columns with, um, Ava Astor, who's the, the famous, um, uh, divorcee of, 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 um, from America who, of the Astor fortune who comes to London and she, the papers call her the most beautiful woman in the world. And she's linked with Monty and there's this great story, um, where she's kind of like breaks up with them for somebody with more prospects. And he says, well, I'm not going to be around. Um, I might go look for the Ark of the Covenant, um, which to me is like the greatest line you could tell somebody if they're breaking up with you. Um, <clears throat> right. Um, I'll be OK. Don't worry. I'm going to go find the Ark. And she supposedly pauses and she says, well, if you find it, uh, come back and see me. So I right. think so it's almost like you have to get the maiden by getting the artifact first, almost. Yeah, which is like so um, British and so it's so everything. It's so, you know, it's like another check mark of the really kind of um, obnoxious things that um, people do for love. So I think that's part of it, too, um, why he goes. But 
um, he goes and he agrees to lead them and they, they bring on a bunch of ex-soldiers um, who are interested, um, re, you know, in the money for sure, but also just the adventure of it. Um, and they go raise money through private um, funding. And there's stories, too, that they have to push, tell people no, because they have, have enough money so quickly. Um, and they go to Jerusalem. And, and the great part to me is, um, and they bring some psychics along, too, and this whole menagerie of people. Um, but they go and they have they don't have one archaeologist on the team. There's, there's one guy who's like a, a, a kind of an engineer. Um, I mean, he is an engineer, but there's no archaeologist. And, and when they get there, they tell the locals, they, you know, they bribe their way. They have to bribe the Turks to be able to, to dig there. The Turks control Jerusalem at this time. They have to bribe the local um, officials and they tell the locals, um, you know, oh, we're digging here. We're not digging here. We're going to build um, a school and a hospital, which is a complete lie. Um, so, I, I, you know, they start off, I think, really kind of shady people. I don't think they end up that way. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been interested enough to write the book. But, yeah, they eventually, they, they you know, they start, they send a, an early team to go scout it out and, and it seems like Juvelius's cipher leads them to the fountain and they can't believe it. And they say, you know, the fountain is where we're going to look and they start to dig. Right. So like they, they're kind of like hapless adventures following this, this Juvelius guy and his curious cipher. But I guess that was enough for them. But they also kind of found resources. I mean, there was a French, like an actual real, Kind of learned archaeologist they meet up with right yeah and i think he's i kind of go back and forth who's my favorite person um but he's pretty awesome he's a um i mean you you these kind of you can't make this up i mean he's a a french um he's a priest who's who's in um um in his uh in um jerusalem uh, with his his order and but he's really into archaeology. His name's uh, Father Vincent, they call him, and he loves archaeology. And, and when they you know they work for a while, um, the expedition and the locals just know that they have no idea what these people are doing, or know that they don't know what they're doing. Um, so someone suggests Father Vincent, and he comes along, and they bring him aboard. They don't tell him what they're looking for. Um, they tell him, you know, just we're just looking through the tunnel, and the tunnel at this point is all stopped up. Um, so their job is to try and get through it um, and see what they can find. And, and he's just so interesting to me because he's the he's a priest, but he's also the scientist. Um, he goes in there with his measuring tape and measures, and he like wrestles with, um, you know, what created, who created what in the 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 tunnels and the caves and, and what's happening with the water and it's just this immense puzzle to him um but he has no problem uh trying to wreck you know no problem reconciling science and religion it's it's not even an issue for him um right. and it's great i just see he always comes into a place um they call him in when they don't know what they found and he's like a detective 
Um, he goes through what he, you know, they found bones or a tomb or, and it's just that he's a really sharp mind. And because he wrote it all down, I was able to, you know, get into his head um, and really, you know, put that down in, in the book. And he's just really, really great. And that was the same thing with Monty Parker. You were able to get some of his original documentation and get all that information too. So you had firsthand sources for this whole expedition, right? Yeah, and that was the the hardest was when I first heard this story that there was an actual expedition to go for the Ark, and it might have been the inspiration for the movie. I mean, as a fan of Raiders of the Lost Ark, it felt like my face was melting off because um, I'm like, I have to tell this story. And I looked for years, and I just couldn't find any sources that were reliable. Um, and the big mystery was was Monty because he just didn't write anything down. Um, there were no letters, and and it was just really frustrating. So eventually, I I found that he did. They had their he kept the complete records of the expedition. They were still in the family, and the family gave them over um, uh, to um, a friend of mine I met in in in. Uh, Jerusalem, who um, who's an archaeologist and historian working on on all this kind of stuff. Um, and that kind of really opened it up um, because it not only had like things he wrote, but it had expense reports and they had the cipher uh, translated and not. It had some maps. So it really, um, to me, it helped make it real because this story is so outlandish. Um, that I didn't think it was real much of the time. Um, I still don't know if it's real. No, it's real. Um, but that that report, the Parker report, they call it, really, um, that was it. That was the the what it needed to bring it down to real life. And part was it Parker or his brother who was the model for Darcy and, and Pride and Prejudice? Was it? Um, it's like a. Um, it's not. The, I want to say it's an uncle. I'm forgetting. Uncle, oh. It's somebody, somebody in that family. Yeah, it's somebody in the family, which is a great little um because that that's so I'm glad so glad you brought that up because that's the kind of family it was. Um lots of money, huge mansion, um, which you can visit today, Saltram. It, it it's huge and 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 um it's a museum. Right. Um right. that's the kind of family they were. Right, like uh like landed gentry or something, or yes. aristocrats, you know, something with some title. But yeah, so he was kind of like the second son is kind of cursed because yeah. his dad brother got, I think you said you wrote like in the will, the brother got everything or the oldest yeah. brother. So he, I mean, maybe cursed and blessed. So he became the, the military guy, the adventure. Uh, and there's a lot more going on in the book. There's developments. I mean, what you like, what do you take away? Like, it's so interesting, but what do you take away, you know, when you kind of got done with all the research and wrote the book? Looking back, what did you think about these guys' kind of expedition? Um, that's a great question. I think part of me, what I kind of, what happened, not by accident, but kind of what kind of, so I had all the research and I had all these different versions because a lot of people who went on it wrote about it. So I had a lot of different versions of what happened. Um some people wrote uh, a book about it or, or letters or like a short story. 
Um, but I knew that they wouldn't all agree on what happened. So I, I kind of said, you know what? That's good. Let's let them maybe not all agree. Um, and then the reader gets to decide. Um, but when I was writing this, it, it seemed like, you know, there's a lot of like conspiracy stuff in here too. Um, and I love conspiracy stuff. I wanted this to be like all that 80s kind of, um, you know, when I grew up in the 80s, it was Conspiracy City, but it was really like for entertainment. Um, you know, there's like In Search Of, right. uh, the Time Life Mystery Books. Um, I love that stuff. And I think it would be easy for me to, to I know I'm taking a long time answering this because I'm kind of thinking. Take, take about your it. time. Take your time. Um, I think it's easy to condemn these guys. It's, I think it would be easy to say that cipher was no way, you know? Um, there's no, I, I tried to make it work, um, but you have to know Swedish, Hebrew, and, but what I came to is that um, that's not for me to say that the cipher is, doesn't work. Because A, I don't know. I didn't do it, I couldn't do it myself. Um, but I wanted to get at what they thought. And they were confronted with this thing. And the cipher does, whether you say it's coincidence or it works, there's a couple times where it's really eerie. Um, and I love that. So I just wanted it to be, just be eerie, to have people kind of think about it. So on one hand, it's like this is um, almost doomed to fail, this expedition. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it's it's kind of like if you follow the conspiracy, if you go 100% all in, um, there's almost nothing left for you at the end. But I didn't want to say that because I also really admire what they did. Because um, like I said, I don't think they end up, you know, lying about schools and hospitals. I think this experience changes them. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with a really good story. Um, you know, they're going going all in on, on this this big story. Um, and somebody could, you know, a reader could look at it and say, well, it was, you know, uh, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing to do or, you know, don't go after the ark. The ark's, the ark's not real. I mean, I've heard a lot of that already, but I, I didn't want to say that. I think it's, there's, to me, there's a middle ground um, between the complete, like completely rewriting reality or the falsification of reality and believing in a good story, um, believing in something enough to do it. Because I didn't want to take that away from these guys because I, I really admire it about them. But I mean, I think the one of the takeaways that's positive is it's a timestamp of the way people thought at that time, yeah. adventuring, the kind of biblical mythos that uh, was tied to that and the people's outlook. So in that regard, really fascinating. I mean, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap this up? No, you just, you answered that so much better than me and you did it in one sentence and I went on this long thing. That, I mean, that was that's what you said was it exactly. It's that just really that I love about Raiders the movie that 
you know, you're watching it and for just a second you think it's real and you say, that's awesome. That you get that feeling of adventure and, and that's exactly what I wanted to um, have people walk away with that this was real. Um, you know, beyond just inspiring some movie that these people were out in out in the sand and the stuff that happens at the end is to me unbelievable. Um, it's, it's, you can't, I mean, it's kind of like the Titanic. We know they didn't find the Ark. I don't think it's a big surprise. I mean, I, I looked, um, but they found something. Um, they, they, they found something And the end to me of, of this book is just, um, it's like the action adventure part of it. Um, and it's the part when I found out what happens at the end, I said, I have to write this book. Cause I've, uh, cause that's the part where, um, you know, you love the third act in a, in a movie. And this is, um, you know, this is not the kind of life I live, what they're doing in the, the end of this book, but sometimes it, it sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah, but the first act reminds me of all the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. The guys come together, there's an adventure, there's an object they have to go get. I mean, it's almost like they take it out and you end up the book with a little vignette about the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So where is the best place to get this book, True Raiders? Um, your local um, bookstore, wherever you live. Otherwise, any of the um, big places online. Um some send rocket ships into space, some don't yet, um, or anywhere you get books. Right, and you have a website for this book, TrueRaiders.com, right? Yeah, and there's also, um, I just, there's a secret. So, you know, along with Juvelius's secret code and stuff, I put a, um, there's a couple of secret things in the book. So the first thing that was revealed is there's a code in the book um, if you um, find it, and it's pretty easy. I didn't make it really hard. You don't have to do like seven letters and everything. I'm bad at math. Um, but if you find it, you can unlock a um, secret chapter of the oh, book nice. online. Cool. And it's about, um, we did it for Halloween. It's my other, one of my other favorite guys in the book is Cyril Foley, um, who's this soldier who was like played professional cricket and he's just this born storyteller. And in the book, he says, um, oh, next time I'll tell you my story about how I fought Dracula. Um, and this secret chapter is, is his story. But it, because he really did have a story about him fighting Dracula. Wow, incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> I have to check that out. And again, the title of the book, full title, is True Raiders, the untold story of the 1909 expedition to find the legendary Ark of the Covenant, just published September 2021 by Brad Rica, R-I-C-C-A. And his website is www.trueraiders.com. And people, if they want to reach out to you, they can do that to your, through your website, correct? Yep. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for the interview. Craig, congratulations on the book. I love reading it. Thank you. Really this was great. Thanks so cool. much. Have a great weekend. Stay there. Stay there.